We acknowledge the Aboriginal people of Victoria, the First Nations, and offer respects to Elders, both past and present. Welcome to a new podcast series for carers by Kinship Carers Victoria. This month's podcast focuses on the Department of Families, Fairness and Housing and the pivotal role it plays in supporting kinship carers during the COVID pandemic. We spoke first with Anne McLeish, Director of Kinship Carers Victoria, who wanted to share her views on the department's role in supporting kinship carer families during this difficult time. Well, thank you, Bradley. I look forward to the opportunity to introduce this particular podcast. I want to do two things. First of all, I'm really pleased to be able to publicly compliment our public sector. Since the first day of COVID has struck us all, I have watched the public sector go into overdrive to try and accommodate the needs of families. And it's not just that they've tried to react to immediate needs. They are trying at all times to predict future needs and to craft services and support families the minute that they need support. So my compliments to the public sector for that planning. I also want to say that people in the public sector, individuals have put in an enormous personal effort far and beyond the call of their paid work. Bear in mind that during the time when those families were locked into high rises at various points around Melbourne, Department of Families staff went out of work hours to support those families, delivering support care packages to them and just offering words of encouragement. I've got a high rise at the end of my street and I saw this happening with my own eyes, so I'm a a witness to it. The second thing I wanted to say was that kinship carers need to continue to pay close attention to the well-being of themselves and their families. Support agencies like the public sector can't do everything. The responsibility is still primarily in our hands. And we are concerned to hear stories from our friends in the medical profession of recent weeks that tell us that a lot of people in the community are not arriving to keep their appointments for the third dose of the vaccine. And that as a result, doses of vaccine are having to be destroyed. The destroying of um, vaccinations is a big problem, but even bigger is the problem that people clearly are losing sight of the importance of that third dose. So please, kinship carers, don't put yourself in this category. Please have that third dose of the vaccine. And if advice tells us to have a fourth dose, please do that as well. The other thing I want the carers to start thinking about is the advance of winter. Nobody knows quite what winter is going to bring in terms of COVID. I know that the public sector is thinking about this and I'm currently in talks with both the Department of Health and the Department of Families about what winter might bring and what services might we need to provide to kinship care families during the winter months if we want them to avoid COVID. So please, within your own family, think about what winter might mean for their well-being. I'd close by saying I really would urge all the kinship carers to make contact with the office. Naomi is still at the end of the phone and we're very keen to hear from you. We want to know 
whether you're well, whether you're not well, and what help you might need. And I wish you all the very best and look forward to seeing you all face-to-face sometime in the not-too-distant future. We spoke next with Sandy Pitcher, the Secretary of the Department of Families, Fairness and Housing. Sandy spoke on the effect the pandemic has had on department staff, and she discusses the most urgent issues for the department in supporting kinship families at this time. Sandy, before we talk about the all-important topic of kinship care of families, can you tell us about the well-being of your staff? A lot of carers have expressed sympathy and concern about the well-being of the people in the DFFH, who they relate to, and they'd be interested to know about the pressures your staff are under and how they're coping with them. You know, that is such a great sentiment and question because it really shows that connectivity between the carers and the department. And and I know on the ground, I hear these great stories that actually people feel really part of a team keeping kids safe together, both the carers and the departmental staff. So the fact that they've been asking that question really highlights for me that beautiful part of, um, you know, doing some of the hardest but most important work together. I would say that my staff are a very resilient bunch. They're incredibly um, supportive of each other, which is fantastic. I think um, 2020 was very gruelling. 2021 was the year that people had optimism that kept getting shattered. And 2022, we've worked out a way that we're having to normalise some things and making sure that people take breaks and have holidays and look after themselves, you know, administer the first aid kit at home first and then come to work. And I, I think that um, as, a, as a group of people, we've really put a lot of focus on well-being for everyone because the pandemic has just knocked us all about in so many ways and never has our home situation affected our work and vice versa so much as as the pandemic. I think actually the biggest thing is just the workload has increased so much because government has really taken on responsibilities in the pandemic that usually people would do themselves, like making sure everyone who was isolating had food was a huge extra job, looking after people in um, homeless settings and other things. We're doing a lot of extra things, so we've actually had to grow the department and people's jobs became a bit harder because the way we used to do child protection visits changed a bit during lockdown, those kind of things. So we're, we're looking for more staff and we, we need more staff, but we actually, we haven't lost many people. The biggest thing has been people not taking leave and other things as much because they're worried about the impact on their teams and just seeing that kind of overall exhaustion and really needing to stagger some leave so that everyone's a bit more rested. So in terms of the long-term health and wellbeing of your staff, you mentioned that you're staggering leave now and you've managed to put some systems in place. Yeah, and partially it's been an attitude thing and, and part in, a, in a good way that both people didn't want to take leave in the middle of a crisis and even when we we're encouraging them and then some optimistic people and I was always one of these who thought, oh, I won't take leave now. I'm sure that we'll be out of lockdown soon and I can go travelling somewhere. Um, so, you know, we've, we've had a lot of those parts, both that sort of optimism being disappointed and then the other parts. But um, we've also done a lot of things about people spending time, you know, the care that you could do at home having some online opportunities for health and wellbeing programs. And, and we've been looking to share those with our partners, you know, in the community sector and the carer sector too. 
What do you see as the most urgent issues to address in relation to supporting kinship families through the COVID era? I think that all of the things we've just talked about for the staff in the department kind of apply almost in um, double time for carers in the community. I, I cannot put into words the enormity of difference of being a carer in a, in a world where we were pre-COVID and we had all these systems in place and it was already hard. All of that became magnified so much with the challenges that COVID brought. So particularly during lockdowns, we knew that it meant things like for people who were suddenly having to do homeschooling, for those who are having to usually had respite care, some of those things really stopped and changed for families. So we we made sure that we had people working with each family and understanding their special needs. Some schools provided laptops for kids in homeschooling, other kids didn't. We really wanted to make sure that we covered all of those different challenges. And so we did a couple of things. One, we set up a phone line that carers could call that was particularly for carers as, as a COVID response hotline. We also set up a special COVID-19 child protection team that really made sure that we didn't reinvent the wheel. So once we'd worked out what was happening, we could replicate and give those answers. We tried to do a lot more pre-planning for alternative placements if people needed to move. Particularly, we had a whole range of times where either the family became COVID or um, close contacts or the children in care themselves became close contacts. So we actually set up a separate safe isolation quarantine facility. I think we were the only state to do that for kids in care. And I've spoken to other states about what some of the work is that we've done there. And we got additional funding for respite and in-home support. But all of that was recognising just such huge challenges on, on the shoulders of our carers and kinship carers. And it's worth saying, Bradley, the other thing that really was hard for for carer families and kinship carers was all of the issues around vaccination because there were just lots of complexities with that. So it was a tough set of circumstances to wade through and that's why we needed extra help for families. And what is the DFFH doing in terms of putting strategies in place to address these issues? So Bradley, there's quite a few different practical things that carers are needing to look at at the moment. So Vaccination is one of those, and we really want to support carers to be able to get um, kids vaccinated easily. So we've brought in some processes to enable authorised carers and agencies to provide consent where consent might have been an issue, and that I know for many of our carers that's been something to work through, and we've got lots of advice about consent there. So that's been fantastic. Some um, carers will have seen that we got the CREATE Foundation to actually develop materials and, and messages that spoke to children and young people about getting vaccinated. And we've really been trying to make sure that um, it's something that's seen as not threatening and they felt supported in doing so. And we've been working with the Commission for Children and Young People about supporting people to get vaccination and information, particularly through the Children's Advisory Council. For some of our families, they've been able to attend pop-up sites. We called them K-pops. Instead of having to go to a sort of a sterile setting, we've been popping up at the zoo, at the Sea Life Aquarium, at the Werribee Open Range Zoo. And it meant that the family was able to actually go and have fun doing those activities for free, as well as having a free lunch there and getting the um, vaccination. And we were just trying to demonstrate both our support for families and the 
the really tough um, circumstances, giving them something to look forward to as well as that very important vaccination. Can I say as well, Bradley, the other thing that has been a really big issue for people across Victoria in recent times is accessing the rapid antigen tests. And um, we were particularly keen to be able to help our home-based carers access those rapid antigen tests, noting that it was quite hard for people to get them at, at a time. So we've been distributing for free rapid antigen tests to carers um, so that people haven't struggled to get them and so that they can keep themselves and their families safe and their children in their care. We've been able to support getting those to families and the Department of Education has been providing them to, to children in schools as well. So the government's really taken on provision of rapid antigen tests and I hope that all of the carers have been able to access those when they've needed them. But please call the department if, if you need and you haven't had that supply. Given the constantly changing nature of circumstances, it must be incredibly hard to be able to adapt from week to week almost. And look, I've worked in government for a very long time and I really want to say that usually in government when we change big systems, we give people lots of notice, we do a lot of time we spend with communities. You know, we you wouldn't make such radical big changes to to rules, you know, without a year's notice. And in COVID, we've been doing things week by week. By press conference, we've had to change things in the day as the changing circumstances. And, you know, that's the nature of this pandemic. We've needed to change to get in front of it. It's, it's just got so many tentacles, but it just does mean it's so confusing for people. And we just, as government, really wanted to make sure we could reach people. And some of those things have been being culturally sensitive to people from a whole range of different language backgrounds and religious backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds. It's been understanding the way um, regional Victoria was affected differently from Metro Victoria, all of the different ways that circumstances hit people and, and for people in caring relationships who are having to deal with lots of different um, family members and, and other challenges, all of those things just became harder and harder and we're really just so grateful. The resilience and commitment of our carers and kinship carers in this period has just been outstanding. For more information on how to contact the department and for any direct phone numbers, check the podcast page on the KCV website. This podcast series is made possible through funding provided by the Victorian Government's Department of Health and Human Services.